Hey, good morning, South Point. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Good morning, guys. My name is Carson. If this is your first time here, I'm the next generation pastor, which means I get the pleasure to work with everybody from 6th to 12th grade. So for all the students out there, good morning. Y'all are here. You had coffee. You're awake. Guys, we get to start a brand new series this week and through this month called People Are the Worst. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we can all agree, just like the video reel that played, we've all met somebody, right? Somebody that's annoyed us at some point. Whether it's they just, they just talk on their phone in a movie theater, or they take their gum out and they put it under the seat in a movie theater, or a movie theater that's no longer a movie theater, but it's actually a church. So I think we've all met somebody that annoys us. And specifically through the next month, we're gonna look at different areas in our lives of different factions of people in our lives where they annoy us. And so as Christians, we should have a different response. I know that's shocking, but the world response of when someone shoots off that email and it's like, well, I'm gonna tell them right now. And you open up your ready to type. That may not be exactly what Christ would have encouraged you to do, but there is a different answer. And so this week we are going to be looking at family. Yeah. So everyone take a deep breath. We're going to get through it. All right. So I can tell you right now, you may have a, a, a family that you're like ready to put to the dysfunctional Olympics. We win. Like my family wins. There's no one else on our level at any level. And so there's this plaque that's in my office that's floated around through our family and it's going to be on the screen. It's called Proverbs 21, 23. It says first, watch your words and be careful what you say and you'll be surprised how few troubles you have. Let me, let me give you some Carsonese on that. Watch what comes out of your mouth and nothing will come back at your mouth or at your face, right? So my grandfather was a very interesting man. My grandfather uh, had a very interesting life, grew up in the very back end of the depression and had all these wonderful clothes. And so as a five or six year old, I broke into his, into his bedroom, I was in his closet, and what did a five or six year old do? I wanted to dress up like Papa. So I pulled all of his clothes down. I mean, he had suits, he had shoes. I pulled it all down. I'm getting dressed and he comes back to the back bedroom and he just sees me in all my glory at five, six years old. I'm just, look at me. And I mean, the suits don't fit. Everything's over. The shoes are massive. Nothing works. And he just, he's a big smile. He says, oh, Carson, can I tell you something? Have you ever had a, a snake bite you on the butt? And I went, no, Papa, I've never had that. He goes, well, let me see that shoe. I handed him the shoe. Now, what I did not know was the bottom of all of my grandfather's shoes was a wonderful snake embroidery, right? He had custom made in all the shoes. And so he held it with his right hand. He smiled at me. He said, look right there. And five or six, I was like, yeah. And he went, pow, and he popped me right in the butt. And I ran out of that bedroom screaming to my mom. And I just hear him in the back going, now you have. My grandfather, through that experience and several more, uh, was not the nicest person on the planet. But what he did was that he made a life for himself and created an empire of his own. And I look at all the faults that he had, and a long time I blamed him for, man, you just are mean or you just don't have a whatever. I took it from my perspective, but I never looked at it through the lens of his eyes. He didn't grow up with a family like mine. His parents were not as loving and supportive. His dad kicked him out when he was 17 years old. He didn't have this growing love and relationship with his brothers and sisters. In fact, to the day that he died, he had a, a very severe relationship with all of them. Through his life, he alienated everybody around him. And because I just saw that mean side of him more than the nice side, I assumed it was all his fault. Now, we do own our own problems. Hear me on that. But if we don't start to look at our families through the lens of what they're going through and where they've been, 
We're never going to bridge the gap to communication with each other. We're never going to find redemption. We're never going to be able to show grace, and we're never going to be able to find those funny stories within all of the trauma. Now, my generation, millennials, have a word we like to call triggered, right? You've probably all heard that sometimes. I'm triggered. Does that trigger you? So that word basically comes from the fact that when you see something you don't agree with, don't like, don't approve of, it, may, it brings you to a place and you get affected by it. I have triggers. One of my biggest triggers is being late. I don't like being late anywhere. If any student is in here, they can bring last year up. Last summer, I was not happy being late. But my house, my, my wife and I went to buy a house. We're going to buy our house, and I was like, we want to get there to be a closing. I want to be there on time. I want to be there ready to go, pen in hand. All right, no problem. So we get there, and uh, before we got there, we had uh, four stops to make. She had to get Starbucks, and uh, we had like, every red light. And so we're now pulling into the complex, and we are five minutes late. And I am freaking out. I am steaming mad. Like, we're not going to find this place. Where's the sign? And I'm driving around the parking lot. I drove around the building four different times because I was so mad that I couldn't see the main entrance that said, just park here, right? Because I allowed myself to be affected by a trigger, it ruined the rest of the day. It ruined that moment with Katie and I, and guess what? We still were able to sign and close, and we still got our house. We can't just react to the triggers. We can't just immediately go into that, and with our families, there are things our families do that we just immediately just say, I'm out, I'm gonna get mad, I'm gonna respond. Instead of stopping for a minute and looking at why you're triggered, and why they're triggered, right? It's not just them and it's not just you. It's the entire group together. Now we're gonna look at these triggers and guys, I believe that if you have one trigger in your life or you have 300 triggers in your life, some of us really are there. They all stem from four areas. And if you guys have your worship guide inside, it's a bunch of notes. I encourage you guys take notes because note takers are history makers. But all the triggers in our life come from four areas. They come from language. They come from judgment. They come from manipulation and selfishness. Remember that deep breath I told you all to take? Here we go. All right, we're diving in. The first one, generational differences. Generational differences. Uh, for all those that are maybe under the age of 35, anybody know what this is right here on the screen? Anybody know what this is? It's called a hashtag, right, for my generation, right? For my generation, it's called a hashtag. But for those that are older than me, older than 30, you would call that a pound sign. And you'd be surprised how many people under the age of 30 would go, that's a what? That's not a pound sign. They, they don't put that together. There's another one. This is my favorite one because I grew up with this as a kid. Anybody remember having one of these in their house? Cool, right? So I remember having this. Now, parents in the room, even the older generations, you guys can get with me on this. I went on a youth trip last summer, and I had a student who really wanted to call his girlfriend. He had to call his girlfriend. He had to tell her how much, and there was no signal where we were. And so he came to me. He's like, I gotta tell my girlfriend that I'm not gonna be able to talk to her for a week. I said, okay, dude, I don't get it, but okay, cool. So I handed him one of these. I handed him this phone, and he looked at me with this perplexment that I had never seen before, like a deer in headlights, like, what do these buttons do? You realize that the generation right now, so everyone's sixth grade and younger, y'all realize you're the only generation in the history of this world that has never had the ability to say, I couldn't see the person I was talking to. I can see the person on a phone, on a computer, on an iPad. You're the first generation that can't say, I haven't been able to experience that. So how are we able to even get things together to meet in the room to talk to our kids, our sons, our brothers, our daughters, our family, if we can't just learn the language of each other? 
But hey, guess what? This goes into scripture too. Check this out. For anybody that's a King James fan, anybody King Jamesers out there? Anybody read King James as a kid? Okay, here we go. Micah 7, 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be the light unto me. Yes, powerful. Now check this out. This is a devotional that was written by some youth pastors in Doral, Florida called The Word According to Generation Z. Don't flex on me, sus dude. If I sip, I don't dip. When life goes on dark mode, Cap G keeps it lit. That's right. For everybody in this room, whether what side of the aisle you're on, you just either went, that's not right. There's no way. God's not called Cap G. But see, language has changed. Things have become different. And until we realize that, guess what? Maybe my kids, maybe my brothers, maybe my sisters, maybe my family is not looking through the world the same lens that I looked through it. How are you going to sit down at a table or over coffee and break bread and have a conversation? If you're not willing to listen to the language that they have, how are you going to bridge into generational healing instead of generational divide? You have to be willing to hear it from their perspective. The next one, trigger number two, Karens, a.k.a. judges. All right, if your name is Karen in here, I apologize. This is not directly connected to you. Unless you're one of these after this definition, then you'll know. Uh, I have a literal Aunt Karen. Like her name's not Karen, but she embodies everything that a, aunt, that a Karen would be, right? And a Karen is someone who just judges the world freely. They just have this, this mindset. They're the person that's out there with the ruler in your front yard with the HOA, making sure your grass isn't too long. They're the ones that constantly stop by when Christmas is over two days after going, oh, you know, Christmas ended uh, two days ago, Mark. I think it might be time for you to tear down the tree and get everything out of the yard. They're the ones that constantly interject themselves. Oh, what about this? They're the family member that puts something on Facebook, even though we, we said we weren't going to talk about that. Or they're the ones that shows up at a family get-together, even though we said, hey, we're trying to keep this low-key. We're not trying to make this really big for everybody. So let me give you an encouragement of what Karens create. They create judges where we feel like we have to, we have to justify ourselves to appease them. So here's what I want to encourage you guys. Do not justify yourself to earthly judges. Do not justify yourself to earthly judges. Titus 3, 2 through 6. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to the various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Karens exist to just pester. My, you know, so from my aunt, she, she and I did not get really along real well, and so my wife and I were getting married, and we did the courteous thing. We sent everybody in the family an invitation, right? Everybody can come. This is how this reaction went. So instead of just saying no, which we knew she was going to say, she took a picture of the invitation in the trash and sent it to us to, 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 to really drive the point home. We know people in our own families that just go out of their way just to push it. Have you ever stopped? Because the immediate response is the trigger is just like, they're manipulating my emotions. And you get angry. Have you ever stopped just to ask yourself why? Have you ever looked at their life and asked, maybe, maybe something happened when they were a kid. Maybe something happened to my brother or my sister. Did I get better treatment than they did? 
Was I the favorite? Were they the black sheep? Did something happen in their life that, that pushed them out of the, the center of focus? In my experience, the people that are Karens in this world, people that constantly have to bring up the judgment, constantly have to push us, I think it's that they are that way because at some point in their life, whether they were a Christian or they just had this idea of Christ, God became a genie, not a deity. So here's the difference. A deity is all-knowing, all-powerful all of the time. He shows up when he shows up. He has the choice to show up. That's what our God does. Our God does what he's famous for. Amen? Amen. All right. A genie is something you are the control over. You decide when it comes out of the bottle, and you decide when or well and how it will use its power. And at some point, maybe you had the, maybe you can see it right now, that family where she wished for that pony and she didn't get it. And then that started the cycle of, well, th- th- maybe they're just not going to love me. And then she started doing worse in school. And so then that pushed the cycle out farther. And then she didn't get the boyfriend or the girlfriend broke up with her. And so she got pushed even farther. And what happens is, is because they put so much faith in this constant love from something that wasn't true, the self-worth they have in themselves is empty, so now they have to make sure everything you see and everything you feel is self-worthless too. So before we judge the Karens in our lives, ask the question of why are you this way? Try to be there in that, in that moment and listen to them. Listen to their story. Because I can guarantee you more than not, there's, there's, there's heartbreak, there's trauma, there's damage, and they want to see themselves in the same light that you look at yourself. And if you are a Karen, if this falls into you, Try to talk to someone about it. Try to give yourself the opportunity to be loved by who you are, not by what the world's told you you are. Y'all good? Y'all with me? All right. Trigger number three. There is a difference between a boundary and a barrier. There's a difference between a boundary and a barrier. Galatians 6, 2 through 3. Share each other's burdens, and this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I love this one. So I had a friend of mine who had a stepdad. They lived right next to each other, right? They were in the apartment complex, right next to each other. And every morning, every morning, he'd get this knock on the door. Hey, man, uh, I got to get some, I got to make my morning Bloody Mary. Do you got a bottle of vodka? No, no, man, I I really don't. I got to get to work. Oh, okay, right? Next morning, without fail. Hey, hey, man, how you, how you doing? I need somebody to help me move some stuff. Can, can you help me out real quick? I'm like, no, no, I, I really, I got to go. And what it continued to happen, this happened for like a month and a half straight. So he's getting ready, and he had so much anxiety about the confrontation that was going to occur of him saying no that he would get up an hour earlier. So he wouldn't even, the knock on the door, no one would even be home. Then he would make sure that if he came down the street to go into the complex and he saw him, he'd just do a quick U-turn and say, I can go to the grocery store. I can go walk around for an hour. He'd stay late at school. He'd stay late at work. He would constantly be moving his life around to avoid the confrontation. He was creating a barrier between himself and his regular life. So here's the difference between a boundary and a barrier, because some of y'all may be on the, when I looked this up, I was a little confused. I thought they were the same. A boundary says, you know, okay, you can't come knock on the door at seven in the morning. Please, if you do, please be clothed. Like, don't, don't do that. Here's the boundary I'm setting with you. The barrier says, I'm just not going to talk to you at all. I'm going to make my entire life work around you. If we're walking down the same aisle in a grocery store, I'm doing this and just going. I don't even care about nothing in my basket. All I got is butter. That's all we're eating tonight. doesn't matter. I am not going to spend one moment with you. You see, 
you can set barriers, but you don't need to set barriers till you've set boundaries. Because what happens is when you set barriers, like my friend, your entire world goes out of whack. You don't get the right sleep because you gotta get up early to avoid this person. You're constantly wondering, when can I go home? When can I, when can I do I have to keep my lights off? Do I have to keep my doors locked? Do I have to watch what I say about this person at, at this Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner? Oh, Aunt Susan brought a whole new boyfriend again. Mm. Mm, I don't know why I wanna be here, right? So you start to have all these different things where you're just like, you're no, I'm not gonna do it. You're gonna kill the relationship with that person in your family before you even give them the chance to try to make something. Before you set that, that barrier, try setting the boundaries. Now, if the boundaries fail, and I'm sure there are several of us who can admit we've had boundaries that have failed with our, with our family, then look at barriers. But don't just kill the relationship just because it's gonna be easier. Because when you do that, you're giving up the chance to speak into somebody else's life and to watch their life become fulfilled. You're choosing to put them away because guess what? It just says in scripture, you are not that important. We're called to share each other's burdens, not to cast them away. The last one, we suffer from OBS. Now, I'm so, I was, when I was writing this, I was thinking, you're a bowel syndrome? I can't be right. That's, a, that's an eye, I don't know. Older brother syndrome, older brother syndrome. Some of you guys are, have, have written and, and listened to the stories in scripture. You guys may know the story of the prodigal son, right? Everybody maybe heard a version of this story, seen it in TVs and movies. So this is Luke 15, 28 through 31. So this is the older brother after the younger brother has come home and lived in the world and done all that he's done. The older brother was very angry, would not go in. His father was throwing a party for him. And he begged him to come in, but he replies to him, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, never gave me once a young goat for a feast. Never threw me a party. Never got me a new car. You never hung out with me when it was my birthday. It was cared about him. Yet this son of yours that comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. You throw him a party. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by, by me and everything I have is yours. A lot of us are the older brothers. I was that way too. Why are you always so nice to, to my sister? Why are you always this way? How would it feel if the reverse was and you came home and the family that embraced you or didn't embrace you flipped the switch and just shunned you away? I'm not saying that there are people, and there are, there are people that will come back home every week. They'll go out into the world and they'll come back home. They'll go out and live into the world and they'll come back home. But every time they come home, there's gotta be something in your brain that says, I'm happy that you're home. I'm setting those boundaries. I know your history, right? I know I'm not gonna set a barrier with them, I'm gonna set a boundary, but I'm happy you're home. I'm not resentful, I'm not angry, and I'm not going to complain because everything we have at home is there. Did you take the opportunity to have the conversation? That's the one thing I, I love listening to students when they talk about relationship issues and, and with parents' issues. I'm like, did you ever ask your parents about what it was like dating? No, they wouldn't understand. <laughs> did you ever ask them about money? No, they wouldn't understand. Hmm. Have the conversation with the people that are there. In that last verse, look, dear son, you have always stood with me and everything I have is yours. Everything you have, everything in your family of choice, your real family is given to you by God. You just have to actually want to go get it. But if you sit there and you just get mad because the older brothers and the older sisters and everybody, the younger people come home, then you're not taking full advantage of what God has put in front of you. 
I encourage you guys, before you just jump on the person that comes home, look at yourself in the mirror and say, if it, if it was switched, would they throw a party for me? Things to think about. That was a lot. That kind of hurt, I know, because it hurt me a little bit too. But the great thing is, is there are ways to hack our way through life and to avoid the triggers, right? So I said the triggers stem from these four topics, from language, manipulation, from selfishness, right? From all this area, right? But here's the thing. If we put things into perspective, we can work through and get through life with our families. The first one, first hack, your family cares even if they cannot show it. All right, let me tell you another story about my grandfather, because I'm sure everybody wants to know another fun story. So my grandfather was a snowbird. He would leave Memphis, he'd go down to Tampa, and it was kind of the last couple years he was really not able to drive himself back. So he said, I'm going to fly you down and, you know, let you stay with me in, in, in the, the motorhome, and, you know, then we'll pack everything up, and you'll drive it all back for me. I said, this is going to be a great idea. Get to go to Tampa, spend like a month and a half in Florida, and I'm going to have his car to drive. This is going to be great. All right. So about three days in, uh, we had this huge fight because he thought I was burning eggs in his, in his uh, kitchen and I was not burning eggs. And I said, I'm out of here. So I grabbed my wallet and I went outside to go get stuff and call, at that time Uber wasn't a thing, call a taxi and I'm getting out of here, right? I'm done. So I go back inside, I get the rest of my bags and I come back to where my wallet was and it's gone. Wallet is gone. And so I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm like, well, where'd I put it? So I'm going through the whole house. I'm trying to find this wallet. I can't find it. I don't know where it's going. And it, we, we can't find it. So I had a month and a half. I had nowhere to go. I had no idea. I had no money. I called my mom. I was like, mom, what am I going to do? I can't fly home. And I'm freaking out. And so he says, well, did anybody come into the house? And his neighbor had stopped by to get like a, a Coke or something at one point. And so he then made me call the police and file a police report on the neighbor because he said the neighbor must have grabbed it. He didn't like this neighbor. He just didn't want to follow the police report. He found the, the way to get through that, right? So now I can't go anywhere. I've just filed a police report. We, get, we have to do this whole month and a half. We drive all the way home. I have to drive him from Tampa all the way back to Memphis. I'm all the way back. Two days after we return, still no wallet, still nothing in it, nothing at all. I get a phone call. I need you to come over to my house. I found something. I said, oh, okay. He took my wallet so I wouldn't leave. <laughs> It's sitting there on his kitchen table. And he says, I just want you to think about what you, you were going to leave me stranded down there. And I'm just like, you took my wallet? Yes. And he just was like, just, and I looked at it and the money was gone. So he took the money and he took my wallet, made me follow the police report. And then to follow that up, then goes, hey, I, you, 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 you blamed an innocent man for a, for a crime. You need to call Tampa, Florida and get that removed. So I had to call back down to the police. Y'all. I tell you, my, my like 19-year-old heart couldn't handle it. I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. But your family cares even if they cannot show it. Because let me tell you about my grandfather, though. My, I have a 1976 Cobra II. It was my grandmother's car. My grandfather had it in his property. When I was in high school, I wanted that car so bad. So, so bad. Never let me have it. Never let me have it. Never let me have it. When he passed away, he left me one thing in his will. And it was that car. I went to one of the best high schools in Memphis on a full scholarship because of him, because he paid the way for me to do it. So even though he stole my wallet, even though he smacked me in the butt, even though there are countless more stories of my grandfather, in the small moments, he really did care. He didn't know how to show it. He didn't know how to show love the way that we, some of us know and how to experience, how I experience love, how I saw it through my family. 
but he wanted to make sure that he knew and that I knew that he cared about me. And we have things here at this church. We have Celebrate Recovery, which is a great place for you to connect with other people that are struggling with just how to do life without all the other draws, right? The small groups here are a great opportunity for you to connect in, talk to other people by a family of choice. Maybe your family doesn't want to sit down and do this church thing. Then find a church, a family of choice here and talk about those things. And I will say this, guys, and I will... I will I, it cannot be more true. Talk to somebody. Therapy is huge. I've been in therapy since I was eight years old. I love it. I love having somebody I can talk to. that can just hear all my problems and go, I understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Now tell me more. How did that make you feel? I love that because I can just get it out. If you have issues with your family, if you can't have the conversation with them, talk to somebody else about it because it just eats you up inside. Because up until the day that my, I knew my grandfather loved me, but I was, I was blindsided when I, I saw that the cobra was mine. Maybe there's a cobra waiting for you. Maybe there's something, but don't wait until they're gone to find that out. Try to find the redemption, the grace, and the reconciliation now. Hack number two, even Jesus faced family drama. Even Jesus faced family drama. So Jesus had a half-brother named James who did not believe that he was the Messiah all throughout his ministry and even after he died. Can you imagine if you have a family barbecue experience that's really not fun, that family barbecue experience? Can you imagine Jesus is over with everybody, they're all talking, he's grilling up, he's happy, and there's James with this bowl of potato salad, just like, mm-hmm, but I'm gonna be a carpenter like that, mm-hmm, nobody wants to talk about me. But here's the thing that happened with James. It took him all the way through Christ's life, Christ's redemption, Christ rising up for him to click in that my, my half-brother was who he says he was. Now, we give Peter all the credit for what he did when the church was born. We give Paul and Barnabas and Timothy all this great you know, accomplishments for the church being spread throughout the world. But James was the glue that held the church together in Jerusalem. He was the sole reason that those guys could go out and do things in ministry. The sole reason that we're able to do so much through these doors is because of the irrational generosity that we all pour into this place. But we have to buy in. James had to buy in. He, he had to buy into maybe my brother really is who he says he is. And so that part where it says that Jesus came down to live with us, to experience life like us, he experienced all of it. I guarantee you those family barbecues were just as frustrating in some aspects as they are with us. Number three, when the prodigal comes home, run to them. So the beginning part of this story, right? The prodigal son is living out in the world. He takes his inheritance, right? The older brother, this is the younger brother. He takes his inheritance, runs out of the world, lives for the world, and then realizes he's kind of messed up. His world is, is falling apart. He doesn't know what to do. And so it paints this story in this picture in scripture. It's in Luke 15, 20. So he, the prodigal son, returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I was Googling pictures to kind of bring up the prodigal son, and I don't have any on the screen, but I, wanted, I found this one that was awesome. It was this large antebellum home, this beautiful porch in this really long dirt driveway. And there's this old man just sitting on the porch, rocking. Imagine how long he sat there and waited, praying for his son to come home. 
seeing somebody come up the road and get up and then, no, that's, that's not him. And then to sit back down and continue to wait. Some of us are still running in the world because it's just not burned us yet. Come home. Come home to a God and a father that loves you so much that will embrace you, that will put the ring on your finger, that will put the best clothes on your back, that will love you and embrace you through all that you have done. He will love you and embrace you. He will see the best version of you. And for us that have made it back, but we're struggling with our families, we're struggling with, I want my prodigal son, I want my son, my daughter, my family to come back together. Guess what we can do in the meantime? We can practice the very disciplines that we just took all of last month learning to do. We can pray, we can fast, we can get in solitude. We can practice frugality and then that moment when they come home, we can celebrate, we can celebrate. One last life hack for you, enjoy the little things. So we're driving back from Tampa, going back to my grandfather here, going back. We're Passing Tallahassee, we're about to you know, kind of get out of the state of Florida and we're, we're sitting there and he turns off the radio, he looks at me and he goes, you know, Carson, we don't talk a lot, do we? I said, no, sir, not, not a lot. <laughs> we didn't, I didn't talk to him. He goes, what's going on with you? How's school? How are things? And for 10 minutes, my grandfather and I had one of the best conversations we'd had up to that point in my life. We laughed. We talked about history, we talked about things, talked about school, talked about college. And then in a moment, it was gone. He looked at me and said, oh, quiet, Rush Limbaugh's on. And he turned the radio back up. <laughs> enjoy the little moments, enjoy the little things. Because I can tell you right now, I got amazing stories of my grandfather doing crazy pranks on me and making my life insane. But I have those moments where I think back of those conversations. I think about it, how much he really loved me. Enjoy the little things. When God gives you that little piece of just serenity, of perfect peace in your family, enjoy it. Isaiah 41.10, for all of us that are feeling weird, that feel the weight of our families just tearing us down, and we just we want to react, we want to react, look into this. Do not yield to fear, for I'm always near. Never turn your gaze from me, for I'm, I am your faithful God. I will infuse you with my strength and help you in every situation. I will hold you firmly with my victorious, righteous right hand. Can I pray for you guys? Father God, I love you so much. I thank you so much that you have given us families. You've given us families that have all their quirks. They've given us all those different flavors to throw into this giant slow cooker that we have in our, in our life. And Father, I, I ask that we continue to look to you to find redemption, grace, and reconciliation in our families, to show your love to our families, to not lean on what we believe and not lean on what we understand, but to lean on you and to know that there are ways to find peace. And that when we wanna react and we just wanna, we just wanna get ready to go, that we remember what am I going to say? Is, is what I'm going to say really going to be loving? Is it really going to embody who you are, Jesus? Or is it going to be the reaction of the situation? Father, there are so many of us that are still prodigals running into the world, living on all of the pleasures that it can create, and it's just, it's draining us. It's throwing us down. It's giving us nothing to live for. God, I just, I ask for those prodigals to come home I ask that they just take a moment. And that this kid, guys, I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm gonna just have you raise your hand because I wanna pray for you. If, if you are a prodigal running 
You're running into the world and you don't want to do it anymore. You want to run home. All you have to do is say to yourself, God, I just, I want to come back to you. I want to be loved and celebrated by you again. I will just raise your hand up so I can pray for you. One. Two. Father, I pray for these two people. I ask that they, they just run right now. They stop where they are and they run home to you. They put everything aside and they run back to the Father because he's waiting, Father. You are waiting for them with open arms and a loving embrace. God, thank you for that. And thank you so much for this church and thank you for your spirit and your son that give us everything that we need. It's in your name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. It was an honor and a blessing. I love you guys. If you guys will stand with me, we'll give us the benediction. We're going to jet out of here. If y'all need prayer for anything down here, guys, there are people that would love to pray with you at the crosses. There's also communion if you would like to communion. And if you made that choice right now, if you made that choice to step into a new faith, there's a book down here called Fresh Start. Please come down and grab it. It will give you a great next steps into that journey. Plugged in is right after this. Woo! Down in the chapel. Goes right out these doors this way. And guys, if we can, make sure to exit to our right, right? Let's get out of here. Father, by the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. You are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. All right, guys. Have a great week.